Hello, Conversations with Dwyer listeners. If you are enjoying the podcast, but you want a little bit more, you could become a Patreon subscriber. And for $5 a month, you can get bonus content, bonus episodes, and a podcast that I create solely for Patreon, where I talk to comedians about the music that they like. And you get a pin that was created by Charlene Yee of the, the, the Conversations with Dwyer logo. So please, become a Patreon subscriber. The link is in my show notes under All Things Dwyer, or you can just go to themattdwyer.com. Thank you, and enjoy this episode of Conversations with Dwyer. Conversations with Dwyer. I'm Matt Dwyer. This is a music podcast. And speaking of music, that song that played me in is called Sunny in the Making from the album Take the Corners Gently. That is out in the world. You can buy it. And it is by the Steady Holiday. And more specifically, Dre Babinski, who is Steady Holiday. And this is a great conversation. I'm not going out on a limb. I'm not taking a risk when I say that. It is truly great. And she has been uh, a super pleasure to talk to. She's very funny. I greatly enjoyed this conversation. If you don't believe me, listen to it and then email me at Conversations with the Wire and tell me otherwise and I'll find you and we will wrestle. Um, you can buy all things Dre. All, the, all things Dre Babinski, Study Holiday are in the show notes. Um... She has a show coming up at the Ford Theater here in Los Angeles that is free on August 6th, 8-6. I believe that's August. Numbers and me aren't always friends. Just check out my checking account to prove that correctly. (laughs) Uh, Lately, I'm doing okay with that. Um, Anyway, in the show notes, there are her her band camp. She does this really cool thing where you can get uh, postcards from her, which also involves getting music with those postcards. That's all in her band camp. That link is in the show notes. I'm also linking, we discuss a short film that she did with her partner. Um, it's called Space White. All that is in the show notes. And it's a really great short film. I really enjoyed it. We talk about it a bit in the in the podcast. And I'm a love, I just love, uh, I'm a big fan of short films. Some would argue that that's because I have a real shitty uh, attention span. But I just love that art form. I think it's... Um, People, of course, still make lots of short films, but personally, they don't make the ones I like. And I really like Space White. There, I said it, and I'm not taking it back. Um, so, yes, I think that covers all the things Dre Babinski. Also, if you want to go to themattdwyer.com, that's a jumping-off point for all things Matt Dwyer. I started a TikTok. I say that with a cringe, but, you know, you got to do what you got to do, folks, to promote stuff. And... I think people are moving Twitter, man. I'm I'm on Twitter. I got a big mouth on Twitter, but god damn it, I I hate it. I hate everything about it. If Twitter was a person, I would throw a drink in its face and a hot one. A hot boiling drink right in its face, right in its stupid ugly face. <laughs> really getting up my hostility for Twitter today. Anyway, um uh, if you uh, oh, I was gonna say also, Dre sings on uh, "Dream Hunting," the recent Man Man album. Ryan Kantner, aka Honus Honus, has been a guest on Conversations with Dwyer twice. In fact, Dre sings on that album. 
Both are guests now. If you like Man Man, you like Dre, and you're here just visiting for the first time, check out my library. There's a ton of great stuff. Um, and a great way to do that is go to my Instagram. Soon, my TikTok. <laughs> uh, I'm so excited to say that. that that'll be in my link tree or, and on the website soon. My website has been under construction forever because my wife is does my website and she's real busy doing other websites that help pay our rent. She does the My Favorite Murder website. Did you know that? And she does the uh, Exactly Right, the company owned by the My Favorite Murder people. So if you want a website, you can email me at Conversations with Dwyer and I could hook you up with my wife for website making, not love making. So please don't <laughs> email me thinking you could... Uh, make love to my wife. Only I can make love to my wife. You can have cheap, tawdry sex with my wife, but not lovemaking. Um, I don't think she's going to mind that joke. Anyway, I'm a little slap happy because, speaking of which, my wife has been out of town with my oldest daughter for a few days. I've been stuck with a one-year-old for four days in our townhome with two dogs, and it's been... I wake up at four, and I go to... 9 o'clock at night, and it's nonstop. So if I'm a little goofy in the head, it's because I've been pushed to my mental limits. <laughs> anyway, enough of my ramble-bamble. Uh, go to the show notes. Check out all things Dre Babinski. You'll thank me that you did. And please enjoy this conversation with Dre Babinski of Steady Holiday. I, I was Echo Park adjacent for about nine years. I was in, I was on Coronado, which is, this is hotly contested in the neighborhood in, in some circles, where the dividing line of Silver Lake and Echo Park is. And on, there, there's a few different maps, but I was on the dividing line. So when it was convenient for me, I was, I identified as... <laughs> Silver Lake or Echo Park, like anything fucking matters. <laughs> yeah, isn't it funny? Because I lived in um, Angelina Heights, but I would say Echo Park because I was younger and I really wanted to be viewed as cool. Sure. But it was like... Angelina Heights is cooler now. I know. I lived on... I had a shitbox apartment, but I lived on East Kensington. So like when I'd come home late at night drunk, I'd like... There'd be like the scent of flowers and then downtown would like appear. It was like very magical and romantic. That's, that's the, the really iconic strip, right? Well, that, the one like a block over is all the super duper old home, but there's a ton of old oh, homes. Oh, Carol? Is that what it is? Carol, Carol, yeah. Yeah. But my street, they shot some of uh, Chinatown on. Cool, right. I know you're a big movie buff person. I like movies. I'll watch them. <laughs> Next question. I'm going to find the journalist who said you're a movie buff and rough them up. Um, I like movies. Um, I also used to really like talking about it in interviews because I thought it made me seem cooler than I was. <laughs> <laughs> you know I, what I mean? Yeah. I, I started out my, my, especially with Steady Holiday, feeling like, all right. I'm an interesting person and I need to show people this. So I'm going to reference a lot of things, <laughs> real, real, uh, uh, 
what's the word? Just w- without any like strong foundation of of like my own taste. <laughs> I did the same thing. I totally, totally relate. Yeah. And I think I watched a lot of movies that now I'd be like, really? You sat through this? This long, tedious, <laughs> masturbatory? <laughs> right. Like, I think I might have talked about like, what is that movie? The Bicycle Thieves? <laughs> like, you know, these iconic movies that are important to some people, but I, I've, I've, I don't know. I had, I had a lot to prove. I probably still do. Who am I kidding? You know? Yeah. I, yeah. What do you find? Cause I, I don't know. I mean, now I have kids and all that. Like I used to just have like, you know, I just lay around all day and I'd be like, I'll watch three movies. Why not? I have time. Totally. <laughs> I'm hungover I, again. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> this again. Um, I, I always felt like I had to, to mine, mine things from the, the things that I took in, whether that be, you know, film or music or conversations. And I, I've, I've only recently, I've been able to realize that and acknowledge that and begin to, to move away from it because I realized that I wasn't really enjoying things for what they are, especially conversations and when it, you know, interacting with real people as opposed to a piece of art. Um, I've always been like vigilantly looking a few steps ahead for my next move, um, which is, I think, born of like a very protective tendency that I've, I kind of had to develop real young. And it's it's something I'm, I'm a lot more conscious of now because it's um, I don't know it really takes me out of the moment and my abil- and my ability to like enjoy something as it's happening. Yeah, what? was that cryptic enough for you? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but what stuck out to me was the word protective, like what, like protective, and I can't now I can't remember the other. But like, what did you? What were you? Do you, can you speak to what you were being protective of, or is that also cryptic and vague? Um, feeling like I'm constantly having to hide the secret that I'm, I'm a dweeb and I'm stupid and I'm not, I'm not cool as cool as I project or something like the really classic insecurities. (laughs) Yeah. I grew grew up in an environment where there was a lot of, like my teen years and then I was around a theater. So there's a lot of referencing and like art film. And so it became, I don't know, like you had to know, and I don't know, like you had to be in the know. If you didn't know like Truffaut, you were, you were fucked. Sure. I know. I mean, I, I felt that from so young, my first, <laughs> this is a hilarious story in hindsight and also so sad. Um, I remember in high school, I was probably a a junior, and my brother, who's a grade older than me, had a friend named doesn't definitely doesn't matter. <laughs> but he had a friend who very uh, sweetly and and just curiously asked me, like Drew, what kind of music are you into? Like, what do you like? He was just asking like a get to know you question, and I remember like my blood freezing and just 
being paralyzed by this question because I realized that I didn't know what I liked and I didn't know how to answer him in that moment. And it, it, it freaked me out so much that that day <laughs> I went, I went down to the record store uh, and I bought, before I tell you the list of records I bought, the context is 2002 Orange County. So there's a lot of <laughs> hardcore, uh, like pop punk, uh, but hardcore was like the big thing that was like circling around me that I would like pretend that I knew or cared about. Um, but I went, I went to this record store and I, I pretty much just bought all CDs from like the, the t-shirts that I saw of all the cool people at school. So I bought like a social distortion CD. I bought Glassjaw. I don't know if you know who Glassjaw is. No. <laughs> I don't know if I know who Glassjaw is, but they, they scream. It's a scream band. Um, I bought a like metal, which is a weird first Pink Floyd record. Um, and I think London Calling, which is probably the only one I connected with, but it was, it was just a, a really uncomfortable time for me figuring out like how, how to fit in. I wanted desperately to, to just understand where I fit into this ecosystem. And there was so much music around me or, or like music culture around me. People like really liked the things that they liked and like wore it on their, on their shirts and on their cars and on their backpacks. And I, I was still, I was still like really just listening to uh, the, like the, the Motown radio station, like the, the sixties radio station in town. Um, and I was also playing violin. I got really into classical music at that age too. So none of that was cool. And all of that was like very secretive to me because I, everyone around me was doing something actively, you know, like caring about things actively. And I didn't know, I, I didn't feel like that was something I could wear proudly. So I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, when you listened to Glassjaw, great sweet glass jaw did you go like fuck this is terrible but i got a front i got a i got a pr front i know i don't use that word who who am i who did i turn into you're a you're a cool swinging cat liar. 23 skidoo uh, <laughs> uh but like did you feel like you were did you pretend to like it did you like it i went to shows with friends i, I yeah i think i did pretend to like uh, well, I, I certainly pretend to tolerate it. Um, I didn't. I, I was always so, always so afraid to have an opinion, especially when I didn't like what was happening around me, which was most of the time. I was just like, ska? Hardcore? <laughs> what? What? <laughs> yeah, I still struggle with ska. I think that's okay. Thank you. We should start a support group. a ska band yeah or a ska band <laughs> i could probably keep that beat let's reclaim let's reclaim our 
I feel like ska's like when because like like similar like trying to figure out what and I liked swing music as a like in high school because that's what my grandparents dug and I was like uh, but you couldn't go to school and be like man Glenn Miller that guy really knows how to kick it like <laughs> well when I when I was in high school there was also that resurgence of or maybe it sort of predated me, it was still happening, like the Brian Setzer and oh. that that whole revitalization of yeah. swing in the 90s. That, boy. I just wonder if, like, Setzer, come, when he does his yearly Christmas tour, if he's just like, fuck, can I get out of this? Like, he's trapped. It's a pretty, it's a pretty cushy True. little cage, though. True. It's, There's different ways to look at the opportunities that you have. I've come to realize, like, I, I wonder, I wonder what, what Brian thinks about that. Same, same with someone like, uh, uh, Michael Buble, who has like a big, yeah. uh, like a, a lot of his touring is around Christmas. Cause he, he has, he's, he's quite the Christmas artist these days. And he seems to fully embrace it in a way that I actually think is really fucking cool. I mean, if I could work for two months a year and make a gob of money and then just fuck around, I'd be pretty thrilled. Yeah. I That's mean, my dream, a, actually. Yeah, especially, like, as we get older and start to have families and priority shifts yeah. in major ways. Like, I, I'm i happy to to make my money somewhere and then and then do live the rest of my life. Yeah. You know? Let, let me pitch this to you, Scott Christmas Band. We marry the two concepts. <laughs> You're breaking up. What? Hello? You're breaking up. Uh, what, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> Do you find it that you, because I'm fascinated by a lot of things about you. I won't lie. I was it like that you started writing music in your early to mid 20s, which is like did you work really hard and now you're sort of having this, I need to slow down maybe phase or awareness? Well, they're somewhat, uh, they're not the same. Like writing for me came. I know that was two thoughts at once. And I, but I think, yeah. (laughs) Welcome to my, my show. (laughs) I'll start with writing. It came late for me in at least, what's late mean? I I started writing in, yeah, probably around like 25 or so, which which felt like very late for the community that I was around. Um, Because I grew up playing violin and then I started playing violin in bands and have I got really sort of complacent just being in this supportive role. Um, first with one band for like, I don't know, like eight or nine years. And then I started touring sort of as a hired gun just because it was something that I knew and a way that I identified myself and a way to keep busy and feel like I'm doing something. Like more than anything, it was just, it made me feel like I was doing something. Um, until it didn't and there was a big shift in in my life and like my awareness of the path that I was on and I had to step way back from 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 touring and and from like putting myself in that position because I realized it was it was a way that I was I don't know 
felt like I was like punishing myself for something <laughs> by, by like not allowing myself to like take a chance on, on the things that I do and the things that I have to say. Um, and so it, it was around that time where I was getting really tired of being supportive that, that I started like writing songs a lot more, um, more often and, uh, and, and just quietly, I wasn't sharing them. I wasn't, um, trying to pursue it at all until, until I had that, that kind of breakthrough and, and stepped back from, from doing the, the touring thing. And I came into, a a weird chunk of money. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to do something with this. And I, and I decided to make a record. And that was the first time I like took a chance on myself in, in a big way and in, in a very like tangible way. Like I made a record and that was the first, that was the first steady holiday record. Um, and the learning curve of navigating how to, how to do all that, and what what roles I want to take on with it uh, has changed a lot over these past like six seven years, and it's been a ride. I really hope there wasn't a question at the beginning of that. <laughs> no, there was a two part scattered thought on my behalf. <laughs> <laughs> What's the next one? Uh, could you imagine living with me daily? No, uh, no, I I know. I don't know how my wife gets through the day without drinking. <laughs> Um, but w- when you decided, to, cause you said you had a breakthrough, was that like with your writing where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm good at this. And was it, oh, we'll start there. I won't go into another second thought. I, I'm still questioning if I'm good at it. <laughs> yeah. I, I've, I've, I've been a pretty nervous insecure person my whole life. That's, that's making strides these days, but I ha- having any confidence in myself, let alone the things I create has, has, it's a slow train. And especially in the beginning, I, I did it cause I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm pretty proud of myself. I don't, I don't know where, where I was at. I think, I think it's like the, the decision to like take a chance on myself came from like, just like having a little bit of money for the first time and not knowing what to do with it. So I was like, I got to get rid of it. (laughs) There, there was definitely a little bit of that, like feeling like I was not entitled to like having money. So I was like, this is, it just needs to go somewhere. Um, I hope there wasn't a question at the beginning of that. Nope. Just the beginning of two scattered (laughs) thoughts that I focused on to one. (laughs) I think we're finding a rhythm of this. (laughs) I'm just going to end every thought with, I hope there wasn't a question. <laughs> I was, but, and I can only relate it to my insecurity and horrible ways in my brain. But like, there must've been some in- feeling or belief in yourself. No, like to be like, I'm like, I know I'm like, I'll do something. I'll be like, you fucking idiot. And like, I'll just berate myself. And, but then yeah. I still, there's something in me that's like, you got, you're good. Was is there that sort of yin and yang? For that's how I articulate. That was good articulation, right? <laughs> and to think I came from the theater. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think to for anyone to pursue 
uh, like a creative path. I think you have to have a little bit of that disorder <laughs> to think that you're what what you do is worthwhile. Like other people need to to hear this, and then I don't know. It, it seems to always be coupled with I. What am I doing? I don't deserve this. Who do I think I am? Is there anything? Like from your upbringing that also, because like I come from working class, angry Irish Catholic. So of course I like, like that's just a recipe for disaster. Is there any of that in your, your genetics? Definitely. Yeah. My, my dad grew up with a a really, um, uh, unpredictable father and, he that, that completely shaped he and all of his siblings um, to really kind of I don't, I don't mean to speak for all of them, but there seems to be like a a, a craving for safety and consistency, and that that is how my dad kind of lives his life and projects. On, projected on onto me as well, you know, like really was not happy about me deciding not to go to college after two semesters or whatever it was. And at CalArts Fullerton, um, <laughs> I do my research. <laughs> oh, cute that you call it CalArts. <laughs> oh fuck! It was not an artistic school. Uh, or is it Caltech? <laughs> Cal, okay. State. Cal State. Cal State. Kellogg's. Um, Kellogg's Fullerton. <laughs> uh, it was, yeah. I, I, and I, I went because it felt like what you did, like, I didn't have any strong feelings about, about anything leaving high school. I didn't feel like, fuck this place. I got to get out. I didn't, I didn't feel like any reason to stay other than, um, I just met, um, what would become my band of, of many years. And so, I, I think that's why I was I was happy to sort of like kill two birds by like appeasing my family by going to school and also starting to to connect with this like group of people who like have been they, they were the first group of friends in music that I had connected with and I was like oh I'm on and I'm doing something I have a I have a path here I have a I have a I found some of my people. Um, but in reality, we're just getting drunk every day <laughs> and like playing a little music and naively, uh, we just like, <laughs> not to our credit, actually, this was like pre MySpace even, I think we were booking tour, like national tours. Um, weren't good. They were not good tours, but we did it. And that alone is very impressive in hindsight. Um, sleeping on a lot of floors and like we, we built our first uh, trailer to go across the country. It like made it to New York and back just on a, like a four, it was like a four by six trailer bed and then built up walls with, with plywood and hauled that thing around the country. That's impressive. (laughs) Uh. Cal Arts <laughs> is a school I didn't attend. No, but I know the guy from the Liars did. 
that's about all I know about Cal Arts. And I used to work at a restaurant where a lot of the kids came in. Did you? Where did? Auntie. Where did you live? Well, that was in Eagle Rock. I worked at ATM's Kitchen. You probably remember that place, right? Which was owned. I, I actually live in Eagle Rock. Oh, I love Eagle Rock. Yeah. Look at this. Look at that Casa Bianca cup. Can you see it? Uh, I'm, oh. I guess my weird screen is fucking it up, but I stole that on one of my birthdays. Because <laughs> I like. Because you deserved it. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Antium doesn't exist anymore, but it did. Uh, you probably Larry Hardy, who owns In the Red Records, has been oh, was part owner. You know, I'm new. I'm new to the to the area, and so I, I don't have a I don't have a working knowledge of the of the, the local <laughs> local businesses yet. Oh well, they died, but it was a big. A lot of musicians uh, uh, worked there. I was the only non musician, so that's and that, that's how I became friends with a lot of musicians and was like, oh, I want to talk to these people more. Were you ever a musician yourself? No. I mean, if you want to count the drum set I bought with my paper out money in elementary school or <laughs> junior high <laughs> and quickly realized I'm not a musician. But that was in the era of when everybody was trying to do Neil Peart for, uh, fills. And I... Oh. <laughs> I couldn't do that. Well, you shot for the moon. Uh, yeah, but I could probably still play in a ska band. I just want to throw that out there again. <laughs> Dwyer, I don't mean to lead you on, but this is not going to happen. Fair enough. I'm not trying to waste your time here. <laughs> well, I have mental problems, so I will persist. <laughs> um, what you were saying drinking a lot, and what was it? Oh, oh shit balls. There was something you said that like about sort of staying I don't know did you go off the rails a little bit I guess it's really cut to the chase I don't have to quote what you said yes yes I don't really know what you mean by that but like the drinking <laughs> I know what I mean. I know what I mean as long as one of us knows what's going on this we might get to the end of this <laughs> yes I did go off the rails uh which made me I I hit my version of bottom, which was a lot of people didn't realize because it wasn't dramatic, but it certainly, I, I knew it when I felt it. Um, and that was around the time that I was like beginning to write songs and, uh, yeah, shortly before I made that first record and started going to therapy and like doing a lot and cleaning up a lot like my life and my habits and routines that all happened at this around the same time. And that all happened right at the beginning of steady holiday. <clears throat> so it's really nice to have this, that first record be like this representation of upward growth for myself personally. Did when you say bottom, did you get sober or just be like, I, I can only have wine with dinner. I, yeah, I, I never, well, actually there's, there's a few solid months actually that I didn't drink at all, which was the first time that that had ever happened. Um, but I, I started to understand my relationship with alcohol, uh, when I, when I stepped away from it and I, 
yeah, it's been, it's been a journey. It's been a journey. I, my relationship with it now has, is significantly more healthy than it's ever been. And I think that's because I, I'm really aware of how I take it and why, why I drink. Whereas before it was, it was, a it was muscle memory. It was reactive. Like every, whenever I would feel something good, I would have a drink. Whenever I would feel bad, I would have a drink. And I, I realized that this, it was, um, it was just in my, in my routine to just, to reach for it. Cause it was, it was linked to like every experience and once I really started realizing that and, and pulling away from my, you know, my instinct to, to pick up a drink with every feeling, um, I was able to start realizing that it was, it, that it truly was linked to every experience. So just understanding that was really powerful and was able, and, you know, from there I was able to start just resisting a, a little bit and, and that has become easier over time. Um, but it's still something I, I'm really vigilant about because it's in my family and it's all around me. And, uh, it's something that I know I, I'm, I have a, a sort of like a weakness to, um, I keep a really nerdy Google doc of, <laughs> ev of every drink I, I, I have, um, and it's really interesting. It's it, for, it first started as like a kind of like a vanity thing. Um, I was trying to understand what alcohols made my face red because I'm I'm half Asian and I have that gene that is it, I, sometimes alcohol is hard for my body to process and my my face gets really flushed, and that's something that's that's like used to be really like frustrating and a little bit embarrassing. And so I wanted to understand what, what caused it, like what circumstances. So the, the logs started, um, with like the type of alcohol, the, the brand, uh, the time of day, how full my stomach was, um, uh, like all, every factor that, that would affect, you know, my, like within my body and, and my environment, like the temperature outside, whatever was happening around me to try and understand what was going on. Um, but I stopped giving a shit because I started drinking. <laughs> I started drinking less. <laughs> like, Oh, why don't you start there, Dre? Just don't drink so much. Um, but now I, I just keep it to keep check of, of how much I'm drinking straight up, just like number, like the number of drinks every night. Um, or not, it's not every night, but like <laughs> just the amount that I have, because it, it is so, it's so closely tied to my state, my mental health. And I can, I can look at a week and be like, Oh, I had this many drinks that week. It's no, it's no question that like why this, the following week, it took me days to, to, to feel normal again. Um, it's, yeah, it's not mysterious at all. And if I, if I'm aware of that, it's so much easier to navigate like my own baseline mental health, you know, cause it takes, <laughs> at least for me, it takes a lot of work just to, to be, just to get to zero, <laughs> yeah. just to get to neutral. Yeah. That's, 
I've been analyzing that too. Like that, like I did that too. I'm happy. I'll drink. And like, if I did a show, cause I used to, like I said, at theater and I worked at second city and I was, everything was like, I just played Carnegie hall. Like, yeah, fuck it. And it would just be like, I just did a five minute thing. Yeah. Fucking, yeah it's crazy. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's, and I think like maybe, I don't know for women or for men, like it's, there's a lot of masculinity attached to it. And like, and it's just bullshit. It's all bullshit. It's all, it's so ingrained in our culture and it's bullshit. <laughs> so much of it. I agree. It, it's, it's really upsetting to see that like, there's how ingrained it is in every, in just absolutely everywhere. You know, like you said, like if it's, if something, it, it's a celebration, it's like commiseration. It's for like, all all every emotion is like linked to alcohol there are like spin classes where you can like drink wine what? and it's like this fun th- like i've seen uh it, chianti and high-paced bike racing does not <laughs> sound like remotely even a white wine just sounds terrible it is a thing, like workout classes where it's like boozy wednesday we're gonna <laughs> do it it's <laughs> look it up. It's probably on Groupon. Um, I don't know. I w- w- once I, I started actually seeing these things, like pay, paying attention to it. I, I realized like how how it it's just weaved into how we live, at least in this country. And I don't want to. I want to enjoy it on my own terms. And not because I'm feeling a certain thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think I ever really enjoyed it to enjoy it. I just enjoyed it. It was like that. It's like, I'm pissed off. I guess I better do a shot. And I bartended for a long time. So that also was intermingled. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you also, this is, you also did did you do commercials? I read that you were like uh, did some television commercials. Is that true? I actually still do. Oh, do you? Yeah. Cuz I used to as well and I it was like the biggest love-hate relationship cuz I'd be like I loved booking a commercial. I loved all that fucking national commercial money. But anytime I got the email of like you got to be in Santa Monica tomorrow, I'd be like motherfucker. <laughs> you know, I I, f- I fell into it like, like completely. I got I got dragged into an audition by a friend and I booked it and it was wow. a national and it blew my mind. In fact, I-, I could even really credit that to being like the big shift in my life and in, and in my my health because that's when that's when I said I like I, I came into a little bit of money and, and when I. And I used it to begin going to therapy and work less so I can, so I can take care of myself and, and then make that first record. Um, that was all on the heels of booking none other than like a beer commercial. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, that completely changed my life. I was so far removed from that world. They had no idea it existed or that, there was that much money in it. It can be crazy. 
it yeah it, it can be crazy and it's changed a lot since since maybe the time you were doing it it's yeah. it's not it's not what it was i thought from, about from, from what i hear yeah i thought about coming back a few years ago because i walked out on a a secure job not that i think those exist but i had a kid so i was like i better be responsible guess what i'm not responsible <laughs> but i mean i can't do an office thing like that'll just but and i was and then my agent was like yeah it's gotten so bad with non-union stuff like there was people offering to pay actors in like flight vouchers and i was like what the fuck like that's i have cool. never seen that they turned it down but they're like, but you know, they're like, we have to keep the lights on. So they had to do a lot of non-union stuff. And actually one of the non-union commercial, the first commercial I did was a non-union commercial and they paid me better. They paid me a ton of money and it never even aired. And it was like the best I've ever been treated on a set. Like they had people walking around with like trays of sushi and cappuccino. It was crazy. Yeah. And then they had a martini yeah. bar at the end of the show like the last day they had a, I know I was like what Whoa. world and I, I thought that's how all commercials were going to be wow cut to sitting in a folding chair for five hours <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah my, my relationship with it has has uh, changed quite a bit um, at first I, I after the initial shock of of like just booking something uh, effortlessly which like nothing in my life comes effortlessly <laughs> so like the fact that that happened was like blew my mind and then that casting director called me back personally and was like hey do you want to audition for another commercial and then I booked that one too Holy shit and I was like what is this? I I was like okay well this is something that might be worth taking seriously so I had a friend help me get an agent and then um you know, that, that sort of slowly, uh, became my primary source of income. I was still working at a restaurant like for years after I started, um, booking commercials, but, um, that sort of became like this, you know, like the, the, my bread and butter. Um, and at some point really early on, I, I started get feeling really gross about it. Like this is, I'm attaching my identity to corporations for money. This feels really bad. And I, I, I started being like kind of just kind of cocky and cavalier about it. Like, like I could really take or leave it. Um, but at some point <laughs> something changed because I'm, I realized what a gift it is to, 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 be able to afford my own time and not have to show up somewhere to, to work a job to get paid. Now it's sometimes it is driving across town to Santa Monica and, you know, on like two hours notice. Uh, But if you can withstand that, if you have that flexibility in your life and, and also like within you, you know, to, to like, to, to, to put up with some of that um, it's the best it's the best job in my opinion. Like I, I've, I've really enjoyed the process and um, it's also kind of turned me on to, to acting, which is a, another thing that's been off, just not on my radar until I started doing it. So you never, you booked two commercials without ever acting before, or did you do like our town in high school? 
Oh no. I mean, I did, I did musicals in high school, but I was in the pit. I was a musician. Um, so I, I, that was my only experience with acting, just watching people from down below. <laughs> That's wildly impressive. Like, I mean, cause to, to go into a room and those audition rooms are often cold, awkward, and sometimes they're friendly, but sometimes it's a weird, sterile, just like slating, just slating being like Matt Dwyer and blah, blah, blah is awful. I'll show yeah. your hands. <laughs> I have a scar on my hand. So that never, I never got one of those. Yeah. Also, you shouldn't, you shouldn't show your hands like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a kidder. <laughs> <laughs> For the folks at home, Matt just <laughs> Matt just flipped me off. Twice. Next, I'll be doing some prop comedy. <laughs> Great for podcasts. <laughs> um, yeah, they are cold and sterile, and and I, I'm pretty sure I was too. Uh, but so much, so many of the commercials that I used to and still book are. It's just about look. <laughs> it is. It's. I mean, they, they they just need flashes of of brown faces. Um, I I I think I've, I just got lucky. I, I started this at a time when people are actually actively trying to put, you know, diversity on screen, and I got lucky with my timing. Um, I can't credit to anything else. This is not something I, I put any energy into prior. Um, I do now because uh, I I value this as as my work and and as my ability to take risks and invest in my music because that's it is what floats my music career. You know, I I can't pretend like anything else does. <laughs> But I mean, yeah, what a flash steady holiday is not paying the bills. <laughs> uh, it, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a weird time. It is the weirdest time for creative people. I think that in dec centuries, I don't know. Like, it's just hard to, I used to know fr tons of people who just like made livings as, as, uh, you know, working class actors on doing day parts and sitcoms and stuff when they used to pay, but now they've just fucked with it so much that like no one can make money in doing yeah. it. I mean, I don't have anything to compare it to. So I try and I try not to, you know, but I, I, I think what works to my advantage in some ways is always working from the assumption that I don't deserve. <laughs> Are you sure you're not Irish Catholic? <laughs> So when things are hard, I'm like, yeah, this is probably how it should be. <laughs> but do you, cause I relate to that and I have worked really hard the last few years to be like, all right, anytime that kind of thought comes into my head, I'm going to like, I'm, I've tried to recondition my thought process, which I feel at least I don't go, oh, I have cancer every two seconds. Sure. Which is literally what I would be like, oh, that's a shoulder ache. Oh, that's probably cancer. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm I, I, I'm able to to joke about about all of those things now because I I'm more at peace than I ever have been with you know my my lot in life. 
<laughs> and you know the the things that the stories that I've grown up with that I've grown up telling myself and that were told to me uh and how they've informed who I am now uh it's I, I don't know I'm just a little bit easier on myself is there a lot of voices in the head like not you know not like uh Berkowitz Sam, uh, the son of Sam guy but like <laughs> uh, but you know like I have like dialogues in my head and and chatter and it's often never being like you sure look great today hey your hair is wonderful it's always quite the opposite I, of course of course I I don't yeah yeah that's I mean that's a that's a I feel defined by all of the things that are that are floating around upstairs and I'm, I'm really just trying to like make the most of it because I think it's, it's also a gift to have, to have a, a bunch of thoughts as opposed to not having any at all. <laughs> I'll take the former. True. But That's a great but point. It, but it's, it's a lot to navigate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you wouldn't be, like I think from that constant sort of inner dialogue comes creative ideas. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I'm doing it all day long and then it's like, that's how I trip into something that probably won't sell that. See, there's that, there's that negativity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, um, I wanted to talk to you about space white. Oh, are you surprised that I brought that up? I haven't. Yes. In short. <laughs> what was the question? Let's talk about it. Space white. I was, I, first of all, I really loved it. And Thank you. I, um, and because I was wondering like how th- that came about because like you seem to, you seem to trip into things more than maybe you, a lot, like you tripped into commercial acting and you, I don't know. What was my question? <laughs> no, okay. Space white. <laughs> But I really, I really, really enjoyed it. Like it, I, and it made me want to see more. Like there was, I enjoyed the pacing and, the, and it's really well shot. Like the visual, it's the photography is, the photography is really great. Thank you so much. I, I mean, I can tell you like the, just the clinical way that, that we lucked into being able to do that. Um, I, sometimes I don't know if I'm telling too much. <laughs> I can always edit out, just so you know. If you're like, I shouldn't have called that guy a motherfucker, I'll be like, okay, I'll take it out. He was, though. I'll, <laughs> give me his name and address. <laughs> um, so I work with uh, with Yamaha, which is a guitar company, and, or they're, they're an everything company. Um, but they they gave me an opportunity to make like a dock in Japan. And they kind of gave me, uh, based on their knowledge of my, the quality of work that comes out <laughs> of studying holiday, which is a result of both myself and my boyfriend, who is a filmmaker. Um, is he the director? Yes. So he's not a motherfucker. Oh, who are we calling a motherfucker? I don't know. You called, I don't know, the proverbial. Anyway. <laughs> The universal motherfuckers. <laughs> um, yeah, 
he I, in in the 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 cool way of yeah he's a motherfucker. <laughs> That's who my boyfriend is. <laughs> yeah, he's a cool. Mo- he's I've, he's a cool motherfucker. <laughs> I've watched some of his work because I ended up on his Vimeo page. He's a yeah. talented dude. Yeah, he's the best. Um, if you ever need his frumpy name is guys. Isaac. Um, you know, there's a role. There's a there's a role for everyone. <laughs> I'll put you. I'll I'll scoot you to the top of the list. That's what you like, say, That's what you say to somebody who like maybe was underwater a little too long and now they don't function well. You're like, don't worry, <laughs> there's there's part for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the 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 short of it is that we got an opportunity to go to Japan with cameras. Uh, to, to you know, to, to shoot this this doc about myself, sort of sort of like an artist doc. Like, this is me, and this is me, sort of like exploring my you know a, a part of my identity, which is also linked to the guitar that I play. You know, like we kind of like made this this sort of like neat pitch about the parallels between myself and my guitar. Um, and so, since we were already going to be out there with a film crew. Um, we decided to to write something. Um, so we, we didn't actually have the, any plan to, to make that until we had the opportunity to go to already go there. So we're like, let's let's pack it in. Let's <laughs> let's make something else. Um, so, it was, yeah, we were just very much working from like the, you know, the opportunity to to make something somewhere else with a new landscape. Um, and so it, it was sort of an extension of the doc, the story that we were telling in that little mini doc about like how I, what my relationship to my, uh, my ethnicity, like being Japanese, uh, but being a, you know, a fourth generation Japanese American and what that feels like in Japan when I go back there. Cause every time I go back there, it's it's always a, a complicated emotional experience that I really really enjoy having, but it's complicated every time. Um, and so we made a little doc or a little short film about an American struggling in a place that where everyone assumes that she's she fits in, uh, which is you know a, kind of a, a theme that I. I think is really universal in a way like walking around and people assuming that you know what you're doing and you don't at all. <laughs> like that, that's kind of the underlying theme, uh, which I, th- I think is pretty universal. Yeah. It was cause I, when I watched it, it was before I read some things about you and I was wondering like, cause you've said you felt isolated in growing up in orange County, which I think, Probably a lot of people feel, I hope. <laughs> That's a weird place. Um, but also, and then like you felt like you related to a lot of things. I was like, that also fascinated me because you, you're fourth generation, but you also felt like sort of in step with that. And I don't know, it always fascinates me how much of who we are might be something that's already there, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like genetics yeah, I mean, or conditioning or like, evolution right. yada yada and, and culture too yeah you know like like well like one unrelated example is like we my my japanese grandpa every time we, we left his house growing up he would always stand at at the door and with his hand up just like waving and he, he would stand at the door until we were out of sight 
And it was something that was so quirky and funny that grandpa always did. You know, that's how we saw it growing up. Uh, But then just, you know, like stepping foot in Japan and being in a, in a place where, you know, if we're a guest somewhere like in a restaurant or in a, in a store, it's the same thing. There's like, it's, it's just a, 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 a small like social thing that's done where like you, you, like you don't turn your back on someone until they're out of your sight as a, just a sign of respect. And I don't know where my grandpa, like my grandpa, I assume learned that from his dad, but like my, my grandpa was, was born in Arizona. Uh, so he, does this make sense to you? Yeah, totally. I'm fa- I'm literally, I'm fascinated. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like really into this. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how to, how to tie up the thought, but we'll stay here until we get a, it. A, a lot of things that I I witnessed just by just by being around people of the culture that I come from, seeing how many parallels there are in just like the way the way they interact with each other, the way they move in public. Um, so so many things that I relate to, and and I've I've never even had the opportunity to 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 be surrounded in that until recently. And, and yet I'm, it's like in my bones already. And so there's, there's, there's something there. I don't know what it is, but it's something I I continue to explore. Does it become clear every time you return? Does what become clear? What that is in your bones, the, and that sort of, I don't, like, I was wondering if, if you came home and maybe things felt more resolved or you had a better understanding of yourself? I think that there's, I, I always come home with a, with, with, <laughs> with less understanding of, of how anything works because I, I, I feel so like when I'm, when I'm in Japan, I feel extremely American, I feel very foreign at the same time that I'm like, oh, wow, I'm a lot like these people and I look like these people. Like that experience of just, of even just that, like being around a bunch of people that look like you, look like your family members, like that's, yeah, that that's a new experience. But um, ooh, ooh, what? it's your- a trip, man. In conclusion. Oh, I thought you were going to ask me what the question it was. <laughs> I literally did. That's why I laughed. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't know where to how to how to finish that thought. It's okay. But it's just it, I don't know, it's just interesting to 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 experience new things and especially things that that you have you have a an intrinsic relationship with even if you don't understand the entirety of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I've I've never traveled to where my family comes from. Where is that? I'm half is Irish. Ireland? Half Irish and then I'm quarter German, quarter Polish. 
but I feel like my, you know, and I don't know what it is about Irish Americans where they just fucking love to talk about Ireland. Like I have relatives who are just like Ireland, Ireland, Ireland. I'm like, you never been there. Like, what do you fucking know? You'd like the fighting Irish from Indiana. Who cares? Like, you don't, <laughs> and you drink too much. Like there is, but it's like, if, but I feel like, and oddly, I feel like my family identifies and is, and our personality has come for more from my German grandfather and my Polish grandmother. And it's like, everybody loves him. He was this gregarious, crazy dude who owned taverns and also probably why the big reason I drink too much or did drink right. too much. <laughs> like, I, I mean, that's, that's where I got a lot of that in my head, but everybody, and I'm like, why are we so fascinated with the Irish side when everybody clearly is enamored with the other side? I don't know where I was going with that, but I think you understand. You should go to all of those places. I would like to. I really want to. I do, though, have more, I think, a desire to go to Ireland just because I think climate-wise I would like it. And Thin Lizzy. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to see that Phil Linnett statue. I, I, I'd i be curious to to hear what that experience is like for you because it's... There's, you will take away something, you know, it's one thing to, to travel to a new place and, and be a, be a foreigner and experience everything so viscerally because it, it's just new. But when you go somewhere where there's a, there's some, you have some context like within yourself of like, you know, like looking looking at a place experiencing a place through the lens of like i'm i'm related to this place i come from here uh when you put it through that that filter there's i don't know maybe it's just it's easy to to draw parallels and maybe like there's there's just a desire to um going back to where we started of just like wanting to fit in and wanting to belong and wanting to like understand who you are and like maybe this place has the answers they're, they're, I don't know, maybe, maybe it is just like reaching for something, but I think we all do that. And I think that's, that's a, a pretty human and beautiful thing. That's like a, it's a good pursuit. Yeah. I mean, I do, it is to understand more of myself, I think would be, it would be interesting to have that perspective. And I know a lot of my ancestors in Ireland were um, scumbags, really, thieves and whatnot. <laughs> like I start. It was so easy to be back then. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I guess you like somebody stole a pig or something like that to buy their ticket to get to Ireland and or to America, and like started there. But then my grandfather, American grandfather, was like a like a mobster, like Irish mobster, like so. I'm, but I'm like the least. Con- and then my brothers are rough and tough, and I'm like, please don't hit me. Well, I think that 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 happens generation to generation. Like I was saying with my dad, like my my grandfather, my my dad's father was he was like such a dreamer. He had all of these like business. He was had all these startups. He was constantly getting loans from weird places, and uh, just he kind he he had to keep the family on, on their toes, like for their own safety. And it was a really irresponsible way to parent, but his, his like ambition and like all all of his own, like kind of selfish pursuits created an entire generation in, in his six children of like very conservative people. And so like, 
and you know then you know my my dad being one of them and then here's me and a, a result of of that person who kind of like reacts like we're all just like reacting to the generation before us yeah you know it's heavy to so, it's hard to like to to lump everyone per you know anyone anything together because we're all just reacting to the experiences that we've had. Yeah, and I see things in my five year old daughter that I'm like, oh fuck, that's me. Like that's me, and I'm like, is that there or is that something I behaviorally passed on, like or environmentally passed on to her? And it's, I mean, she flips out sometimes, and it's just like how I like just fly off the handle I'm like fuck sure. please. and I try not but I'm just like and then it's like I'm, I'm like do you overthink that and like is that because I do feel like if there's anxiety in the home or if there's like fear those things do affect them I don't think that's crazy to think right absolutely not yeah that's I mean that that would wait are you saying your daughter lives in a home full of fear uh, yeah I mean I rule by fear <laughs> like uh, like a tyrant like Russia old old school Russia Really, I throw cold right, water. Your on grandkids her. are going to be great then. <laughs> I wake everybody up with a bucket of cold water. That's the start of the day, and they can't change out of the wet clothes. That's very crucial, and they get bread, old bread for breakfast. Um, you now I can't think of the name of the book. Did Amy Poehler interview you directly for her book? What? You're not in a book by Amy Poehler? Am I in a book by Amy Poehler? They're quoted in on something. It's in Wikipedia. Oh, you know, I I didn't... I, you're, okay, I understand. I did an interview with uh, Amy Poehler Smart Girls, yes. which is, I think, a blog? Or oh, I thought that was her... I thought that was a book. So much for yeah. that. I think, yeah, I, I think it was, I, I think it's... Um, I just ruined the whole interview, didn't some I? Some sort of like editorial like out, uh, thing that that she does. Um, but that she she has, you know, a team of journalists and stuff. So I, I did I did an interview with them. Oh, sweet. Uh, many years ago. Oh, I don't remember what we talked about. Um, it doesn't. It's in Wikipedia. Usually I don't use reference reference Wikipedia because it's not reliable. And when you were like, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm like, fuck, I did it again. That's a good instinct. I don't, don't believe everything. Oh no. <laughs> I usually use it as a jumping off point just because it sends me into ar- uh, articles. Yeah, sure. Well, that'll be edited out. <laughs> but we, uh, the one thing I did want to get back to is like, so had you went white, space white, had you written a script before or was that like the first time you tripped into that world script? Cause I'm that was a, that was the first time, uh, Isaac and I, Isaac is my boyfriend. Um, we, we sort of wrote that together, like based off of, off of all of those things, those, the things that, that I said that that film is about, which is, you know, a common theme that I explore in my music. Um, so we, we kind of wrote that together and yeah, that was that probably was the first time I I tried to do that, um, and it was really fun. And I, I you know I think starting with myself as the subject is like kind of where I'm at and where I'll be for a while when it comes to writing. Um, but I do I do enjoy 
writing and at least for now, like beginning to like write for myself um, because I do, I do want to explore acting a little bit more and I'm not convinced that anyone would ever hire me, nor should they <laughs> to, for, you know, like real, like theatrical, like real, real acting, not commercial acting. But I think you're really, um, I, you're really good in the, the film. Like, and it, there's moments because I, I watch it as a guy who's acted also probably not a very good actor, but uh, but no, I, but there's moments that I found like that are very small and subtle. And I really was impressed by the way where I was like, a lot of people wouldn't have, I think done this well. Like, I think oh, wow. there's, Thanks. Cause there's a lot of silent moments and a lot of non-speaking moments. And those are really, really fucking, or at least in my, from my experiences, that's very difficult to pull off and be convincing in my opinion. Wow. That's really nice. Thanks. Um, yeah, well, I think the, the majority of my <laughs> acting experience is non-speaking. <laughs> so maybe that's why. A um, but, little, little bite and smile. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Something I've never booked a bite and smile. Never good. I was always just like the guy who had one funny line. And you know how the, it was always interesting in commercial auditions? Like sometimes they'll be like, they'll just hand you scripts and, and the, you'll have a partner. And they'll be like, oh, who do you want to be? And usually the guy I would get partnered up with would be the guy who grabs the most lines. And I'm like, perfect, because I don't have to do much. <laughs> I was like, please take all the lines. I'll have that one thing and get paid a ton of money for saying one thing. Oh my gosh. I mean, I, I'm, I hear you. Like the, I, I haven't even really done, I wouldn't say more than like, four commercials where I say anything at all. Like most of it is just like, I'm the, the hip friend in the back seat, or, you know, <laughs> or the person like, yeah, the bite and smile. Like it's pretty, pretty minimal stuff, uh, which is uh, fine by me. <laughs> yeah. I was always just like, yeah, you do all the work, pal. And I did, and people would ask me like, as I did a commercial where they did two versions, they did the 60 minute and the 30 second. Or 60 second, 30 seconds. Could you imagine a 60 minute? <laughs> That's a Larry King infomercial. <laughs> but I would, and they, the second, the 30 second version, I didn't speak. And people are like, oh, does that bum you out? And I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I get paid either way. No. Oh my God. No. You think I, yeah. Get, yeah. Oh, I really want to be attached to the subway. I love, I've, <laughs> I've done a subway commercial. Um, my, I, I love being, Hiding, just hiding in plain sight. It's the best. Mm -hmm. The only people who would ever know it's me are the people who know who I am. Like, otherwise, it's not something that is, I, I will not be recognized as a person from a commercial. I will only, only people in my life or who have an understanding of who I am would, would know, would, you know, draw that line. And there aren't that many of them. <laughs> right. Thank you so much. I really... Uh, this I've really really enjoyed speaking to you and you're very funny yeah same same this is awesome thank you so very much thank you very much for listening to conversations with the wire please become a patreon subscriber if you like also subscribe to the show on your iTunes or what have you not, and tell your friends about the show. That would mean a lot to me. As well as uh, go to the link tree in the show notes or the com or Conversations with Dwyer at the Instagram, and you could learn more about the show, buy merch, and all those great things. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>